Well, let's go ahead and get started. Thank you guys for being here. It's always an encouragement to see you out this early in the morning to come and study God's Word together in fellowship. Thank you, Joseph, for the food. We appreciate that. Um, let's open our time with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Lord God, we're so thankful for this morning, for a chance to wake up and to spend time together as men, uh, really diving into your truth and thinking on how we can be godly men who love our families and who lead uh, well with love and who care for others in a way that reflects the character of Christ. Uh, We pray that you would bless our time, that it would be edifying, that you would cause it to build us up in Christ, that it would obviously bring glory to your holy name, uh, and that it would cause us to lead more faithfully in our homes, in the church, and in the world. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, welcome back. If you haven't been with us, we are discussing specifically the issue of leading with love, uh, and we're doing that through the lens of 1 Corinthians 13. And so we're just taking our time, going slowly through all of the descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13, so you can turn there in your Bibles. Remember, we've talked about this now for several sessions, but love, of course, is an an overarching character quality that obviously defined our Savior, and it is to color all of our interactions. And when we think about our leadership of our, of our wives or children in the workplace or the church, this is one of those characteristics that ought to shape uh, our character uh, as we seek to lead in those different realms. Of course, 1 John chapter 2, verses 10 to 11 explain that if we don't love the brethren... We're not even in the faith. He says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So love then for us, of course, is not optional. And we have to be careful to cultivate this in our relationships. And I think going through 1 Corinthians 13, which of course is the most famous passage on this topic, it is a really good way just to center our thoughts and talk together about this concept. Now, if you haven't been to one of our men's studies, the intention for these is to be interactive, and so I want you to feel free to raise your hand, ask a question. I'll ask you some questions at different times, and I'd love to just get some discussion going on some of these topics, but don't be shy. Feel free to jump in if you have a question. But remember, as we prepare to read the text, we'll read all of the passage here in just a moment, but... The theme of 1 Corinthians is correction and condemnation. We're dealing with a church here that was in a mess uh, with lots of problems. One of those problems uh, is that they were really focused on the miraculous gifts and and really the misuse of spiritual gifts. People were using gifts for their own edification rather than for the edification of the body. And that really leads Paul into this discussion of love. So with that reintroduction, let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, But do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. 
does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, as we have begun to talk about these different characteristics, there are 16 different descriptions of love here. We have made it all the way through the first eight of those. We'll pick up with number nine today. Let me just quickly remind you of the definitions of the eight that we've covered so far. Last time we spent our time on number seven and eight, the session before that, one through six. Today will be uh, nine, ten, and eleven and twelve is where we'll spend our time. But he begins it with love is patient. And patience here is to bear up under provocation without complaint. It's to be forbearing. Kind is exactly what you think it would be. It's to be kind or loving or merciful. Jealous is to have intense negative feelings over others' achievements or successes. So love doesn't do that. To boast, then, is to heap praise on oneself. Love does not brag. Five, conceited is not arrogant is another way to say that. It's to cause to have an exaggerated self-conception, to puff up or to make proud. It doesn't act unbecomingly. To act unbecomingly is to act dishonorably or disgracefully. It's, it's a, the type of behavior that even the public uh, would consider disgraceful. Love doesn't act that way towards others. Love doesn't seek its own. It's not selfish. You remember we looked at Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Number eight, this is where we left off. Love also is not provoked to anger. It's not stirred up. It doesn't become incensed. It's long-suffering. It's forbearing. Now, with that in mind, you can go listen to those if you haven't uh, heard those lessons. But with that in mind, we're going to pick up now with number nine, which here in the New American Standards translation says it does not take into account a wrong suffered. Now, what that means is it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, is the more traditional way of uh, translating that. In, the word here is to keep or to determine a math, by a mathematical, mathematical uh, process. It's to reckon or to calculate. It doesn't calculate wrongs and keep track of them. It describes a person here on, in the negative sense. This is a person, a person who keeps a record of wrongs is they hold on to offenses and they maintain an attitude of unforgiveness towards a person. That's to keep a record of wrongs. And notice that in this case, a, a real wrong has been suffered. That's, that's the assumption that something actually has been done to you or this person that is wrong and yet, love doesn't keep a record of that wrong. You know, a lot of people are tempted to justify uh, their anger and unforgiveness towards others because they're confident that the sin against them is legitimate. And this text doesn't deny that. It's saying that even in those cases, when that sin is legitimate, your perspective might be very correct about how you've been treated. Even then, it doesn't keep a record of those wrongs. It doesn't harbor unforgiveness. You remember in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus talks about anger and also reconciling quickly with those that we have some 
some tension in our relationship. In Matthew 5, 21 to 24, he begins with anger and says, You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Obviously, the idea here is to keep short accounts. It's, we don't keep records of wrongs towards others because we are, are keeping short accounts. And he says here, if you're there to worship and even offer your offering to me and realize someone has something against you, then stop what you're doing and go make it right with that person. We keep short accounts. Even this is to be true in the way we think about those who are our, our settled enemies. This is Matthew 5, 43 45. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, to keep a record of wrongs, it it creates within a person a, a settled sense of bitterness. And so the, you're, you're just sort of in this constant state of, of stewing over the way that you've been treated. And so what happens is you have this, this laundry list of things that this person has done against you. And that tension creates something like, like a bear trap that's set and just waiting to be stepped on. And as soon as that person does something that's in line with those list of wrongs that you already have stacked up, the trap snaps and here we go again we bring out the laundry list of things that have been done and we use that as a weapon against that person but the believer is not to be characterized by this kind of behavior this is not love it's not love towards our wives it's not love towards our children it's not love towards other believers in the church or even unbelievers in the workplace to keep a record of wrongs where we've made a a settled assumption about them and we refuse to let go of, of that uh, perspective, and we're just ready to go anytime they cross that line again. And one of the ways that we can understand that this is so detrimental is just to flip it around and ask the question, what if God kept a record of wrongs against us? I mean, just think about that. What if God kept a record of your wrongs? Think about it. The psalmist thinks about this, Psalm 130, 1 to 4. He says, Out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. What a good and gracious God we have who demonstrates for us what true love is. He says, If you should mark iniquities, who could stand? If you keep a tally of all my wrongs, I can't stand. And yet we rejoice because there is forgiveness with him. Of course, true love finds its definition and and source in the character of God himself. And so if he responds to our transgressions by offering forgiveness through the blood of his own son, then who are we to withhold that forgiveness towards others 
and to sinfully keep a list of how they have offended us. Uh, this, is, this doesn't mean that people don't sin against us and that that sin isn't painful. But David Garland says it this way. He says, Love is painfully aware of evil and does not ignore it, but love tries to overcome it with good and does not keep a record to return evil for evil. If you think about it, keeping a record is really preparing for future action. What you're doing is you're keeping a record so that you can use that in some way against that person. It's, it's retribution towards that person. And if, if you find that you are in, in regular tension with another person, I think it's important to ask yourself, am, am I harboring a list of wrongs against them? Is that why I'm, I'm kind of always ready to go? I'm always pinned up towards them, so if they do the slightest thing, I'm snapping at them. Perhaps it's that I have committed this sin of keeping a record of wrongs. That kind of sin is like a cancer to a marriage. It, it, will, it will absolutely destroy your relationship with your wife. It's like a cancer in your parenting, and it's a cancer in the church. And so we have to commit ourselves to snuffing it out. We'll talk about some of the ways we can do that, particularly as we come to the, the fourth of the attributes that we will discuss this morning. But I want to move now to the next description. This is the tenth description of love here. And the way that it, it reads here in the NAS is that it, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. So... Let's think about that for a moment. The 10th and 11th description actually go together. They're both sides of, of, of two sides of the same coin. So here we're dealing with the negative. True love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. And then in a moment we'll deal with the positive. It rejoices in the truth. This idea of rejoicing, of course, is to be in a state of happiness or well-being. So it, the believer is not happy, not in a state of well-being. He doesn't rejoice over things that God hates. Remember Isaiah 5, verse 20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so a person who's demonstrating love doesn't find sin delightful, not his sin or the sin of others. Love doesn't rejoice when evil is done, even against our enemy. You know, one of the ways that this sin can be committed of rejoicing in unrighteousness is the sin of gossip. <clears throat> Essentially, that's what we're doing. When, when we find it delightful to say, how oh, did you hear about what so-and-so did or what happened to so-and-so? Uh, particularly when, when it's a, a, maybe a sin that they've fallen into, to, to find it enjoyable to banter and talk or even joke about that sin is to commit this sin. It's, it's, not re it's rejoicing in unrighteousness. Um, you know, I've seen this happen when, when maybe a, a prominent Christian leader that's in a different denomination or has a different theological bent than we do. They're not a heretical bent. They're a true believer, but something. they're in a different camp. They fall into sin, and suddenly it's kind of like, hey, did you? We'll pray for them. But did you hear about that? You know, 
and it's there's this there's this like a little I've got a morsel of something to talk about, and of course they fell because I mean they're using Arminian. I mean of course he fell. I mean and that's why us you know we count this. But, um, you know what I'm saying? And so we 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 tend to um, use it as a way to bolster like. That's right, our theology is right. And it's obvious because this guy fell into sin. But then when someone in our camp falls into sin, it's like, well, you know, I don't know what happened there. But let's talk about this other guy that fell into sin, right? This is one of the ways that we can uh, rejoice in unrighteousness. And when, when any believer falls into sin, if they're a true believer, the response is grief and sobriety. It's for us to say, be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. I don't care what camp they're in. If they're a true Christian and they fall into sin, that does not bring a smile to the face or gladness to the heart, but grief and a sober warning. Another way that we need to think about this and not rejoicing in, in unrighteousness is true love doesn't enjoy sinful things as a form of entertainment with others. Whether that is rejoicing in unrighteousness in the sense of, of being willing to tell jokes with each other that you know cross the line into filthy jokes or things that are unrighteous. Uh, it doesn't tempt others to find those things funny. Uh, it, it comes to the leadership of our homes. If we love our families, then we are, in a sense, the guardians and the stewards over the entertainment that filters into our house. And, and, and so we live in a sinful world. It's, it's basically impossible to watch anything without it having some form of sin in it. But it's one thing for us to shepherd our, our family through some of the, the basic things that happen on, on a show. And it's another thing to allow blatant vulgarity into our home and things that are filthy. And put that before our family and say, here, let's enjoy this as a form of entertainment. We have to be careful and take that stewardship seriously. I've even heard of, not, not in our church, but I've heard of, of couples watching pornography together as a way of spicing up their own intimate relationship. This is, this is wickedness. This is, this is evil. Uh, and this is rejoicing in unrighteousness. It's like drinking poison to improve your physical health. It has the exact opposite effect of those things. And so we have to be careful that we're not tempting each other as men to rejoice in things that are unrighteous. Instead, we need to flip that coin and do the opposite, which is the, the next 11th description. Love rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in what is true. True love takes delight in the things God loves. True love delights in every line of Scripture. And it delights in bringing those truths to bear on the lives of those we love. To love them is to demonstrate the truth in our own lives, to speak the truth with them, and to talk about the truth with them. You know, for the, the believer, even though our culture is constantly sliding deeper and deeper into the moral mud, we're to stand. And, and, and we stand with joy because we genuinely love the truth. Regardless of what it means for our reputation or what, what effects that has on us as our culture slides further and further away from that. And I think it's, this is a reminder for us as we think about love rejoicing in the truth, and there are a lot of applications of this, but specifically as we think about our leadership, 
I think it's a reminder for us not to let the world draft the narrative for those under our care of what is good and what is right. You know, you, you can't keep your wife or your children or your grandchildren from seeing and hearing the demonic ideologies of our world. We live in a fallen world. So you go to Walmart, and there it is. I mean, you, you can't, doesn't matter, homeschool, public school, you can do whatever you want to do. You're going to go outside at some point. This is a fallen world. They're going to be exposed to some of these demonic ideologies. So what do we do then as faithful husbands, fathers, and grandfathers? Well, it, it starts by being willing to talk about these things with our family in an appropriate way and bringing the truth to bear on those situations. We expose the darkness with light. So we bring truth into the conversation. Loving leadership delights in the truth for us and for those under our charge. So think about it this way. The next time you're at Walmart with your nine-year-old son or grandson and, and he has questions because you happen to pass by a, an obvious man who is dressed as a woman, and that's very confusing to him. And as you're walking out of the store, he's asking, Dad, what, 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 was, that? what was that about? Don't just shush him away and say, you know, we'll just, we don't talk about those things or, or just, you know, just forget about it. I'll tell you when you're older. Take that opportunity and say, well, son, isn't that, isn't that so sad? This is a chance for us to, to stop and pray for this person who is so deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. That, that he doesn't understand even how God made him. He's, re, he's in rebellion to how God has made him. And this is what the world would say is good, but God says it's, it's sin and that it's good how God made you. Who made boys and girls? God did. That's right. He made you on purpose the way that you are. And he delights in you rejoicing in how he made you and living as a boy for his glory. Now we've taken the, this demonic ideology that just walked past our child and we've turned their attention now to truth and next we say you know what let's pray for that guy that god would bring him to true salvation we create in them hopefully or show them a heart of compassion for that person that doesn't overlook their sin but sees it for what it is a sinner who needs to be redeemed by the gospel and this is how we rejoice in the truth uh, with those whom we love who are under our care this is what really the application of the great Shema looks like. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know the text, but let's turn there. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Moses writes here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now, let's stop there for a minute. We often jump to, you should teach them, teach these things. But notice the prerequisite to teaching them. These things shall be on your heart. If you wonder why sometimes maybe you struggle to think on things to say and speak truth to your family, begin with, are these things on my heart? These things shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the description of loving those under our charge by rejoicing in the truth. I think sometimes we are tempted to... um, I want to say dumb down, but that's that's too harsh of a term. But we're tempted to confine our spiritual leadership of our homes to to formal family devotions, right? We have a devotion every morning, every evening, and therefore I am a great spiritual leader. Listen, have devotions. I think having family devotions is a good thing to do, but that's not Deuteronomy six. That's that's this much of Deuteronomy six. Deuteronomy six is live a lifestyle as a godly man who is filled up with the truth, who loves the truth, and so it flows out of you as you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And so yes, that that will include formal times of instruction in the truth, but many times what's much more impactful for our families and our wives is for them to see us treasuring these things in our heart and applying it throughout the day as we go about different uh, situations. It's talking with your wife about the truth in the car. Like, hey, I was reading today, and this really impacted me. You know, How's your reading going? What have you been reading? I mean, it is simple things like that that really define our spiritual leadership. And it comes back to a form of love for our families because we're rejoicing in the truth. See that? What are some of the ways that you guys um, try to weave truth into common interactions? with the people in your life. Are the ways that you do or ways that you think would be a really good idea? <laughs> when, it, when it even comes to shows for the kids or you know, if we're watching TV as a family, you try to catch it and is that what God, is, is, that, is that what the truth of God really says? Yeah. The idea that was just espoused or that what that person just said? Or in books they're reading, um, like even a book about dinosaurs got picked up at Costco. You know, it's awesome. Pictures are awesome. Still, but then Jonathan's reading it, and timing is not a biblical perspective. Right. So millions and billions of years, years of time. Right. And calling that out. So yeah. Know. Weaving it into what you're reading with them, what you're watching with them. Yes, Wendell. Um, the abortion issue and sharing with the kids. Hmm. What what's the meaning of being made in the image of God mm-hmm. from conception? Yeah, yeah, that's a great one, yeah. Tim. There've been a few times when um, coworkers we've watched them. We both like like Daily Wire and mm-hmm. have that conservative uh, mindset. Um, and we actually watched a documentary together, the What Is a Woman documentary, uh-huh. and it gave me an opportunity to share the truth of the gospel in a sense of what's right and wrong and my like where I view and what Christ says and then going to Romans 1 and saying they've been given over to a depraved mind and just really laying that out and necessarily asking them like so what's what are you going to do with your mm-hmm. thoughts and your minds yeah because um, that's just kind of that we kind of agree on this but then getting them to um, the point of asking them about where they are. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah. It's, it's given me opportunity a few times. That's great. It's an important reminder to take the conversation beyond right. just the points of agreement or disagreement to the gospel. Um, that's, that's good. What else? Any other ideas on ways you try to weave the truth into daily life? My son came home one time from school and he was talking about, you know, in the homeroom they were being taught on how to be self-confident and whatnot, right? And I thought that was a pretty interesting, like, wow, you're hearing this from mm -hmm. the outside world. Mm -hmm. And that was just a wonderful <clears throat> opportunity to share that. Hey, I'm glad that you shared that to me. Let's go back to scripture and what does God say about self-confidence? Mm -hmm. Just the Bible teaches <clears throat> so something like that. Yeah. And when I sin against him <laughs> and I fail against teaching or being short for you second to my to my children mm -hmm. and asking forgiveness, I think it's one of the yeah. ways that I think I can also infuse truth in yeah. in that in my sinful action. Absolutely. It demonstrates repentance. I think I'll say this often, think this often, we, we ought to be the lead repenters in our homes. Our, our families should learn repentance. They should know how to repent because they've heard us do it to them um, and to the Lord. And um, that's a great opportunity to share truth with our, with our family. Uh, I think it's too, also too <clears throat> most important to ask the questions of the kids. Mm. You know, get into their lives. What do you, what's happening at school? What's, what, what have you seen that you have questions about mm -hmm. just try to peel it out because a lot of kids see this stuff and they just don't talk about it don't know what's going on yeah they do but they won't say anything about it mm -hmm. if you just be active in their lives all my kids are growing but with grandkids you know uh, we talk about that a lot <coughs> try to pull out from them what they're mm -hmm. thinking and then go into scripture and, and yeah clarify it for them absolutely it's just being intentional, right? It's, it's easy for the days to just pass us by, right? There's so much going on. Uh, and then when we finally get home, the truth is we're tired and we're kind of ready to be done with doing anything very deep. And the kids seem happy enough on their own. And so I'll slip in and have some alone time, uh, which there's nothing wrong with on occasion having time. But we, we need to capture those moments. And one way that one of the practical ways I've found with my kids, I mean, your every kid's personality is different, but uh, my kids love to go on walks, and their mouths just open up. Something about the movement of the feet—I don't know what it is—but they op they open up on a walk, and so I, I know if I really want to find out what's going on in, in their heart and mind, I'll say, "Hey, let's go for a walk." So you try whatever works, but. Don't waste the opportunity to love your kids and your wife and others by loving them and sharing the truth. Let's keep moving ahead. Um, and we're going to look at one more attribute here. And, and this one is, is, to me, one of the most convicting attributes on the list. They're all convicting. But it says here, <clears throat> love not only rejoices with the truth, but verse 7 says, it bears all things. Bears all things. Another translation for that word is the word cover. It covers all things. It's, it means literally to keep confidential, to cover, to pass over in silence is the meaning of the, the word. My favorite Greek lexicon uh, puts it in these terms. It says, this is speaking of love that throws a cloak of silence over what is displeasing in another person. Um, it bears all things, covers all things. 
This is a present active indicative verb. It's a, it means it's a continual action. This is, this is love is to do this continually. We cover the, the sins of others, but, but even beyond that, we cover those things that we find irritating, the things that can rub us the wrong way, the quirks of others. The truth is, every single one of us has some aspect or aspects, plural, of our personality that can rub people the wrong way. Um, and, and if you don't know what they are, people have just been really nice and not told you. But, but you have them, right? We all have things that's like, eh, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Some of them are silly things, like perhaps you're a, you're a hugger and the other guy's a handshaker, right? Not so much into the big hugs. And ah, you, you kind of got to love that guy enough to, to go through with it. Uh, maybe, maybe you're a person that has a real eye for detail. And so you see something, and, and what jumps out to you are the flaws. So you can see all the misspellings and the mistakes and yada, yada. And maybe you're talking to someone, and they're, uh, 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 they always see the good in it and overlook the flaws and don't even see those. And so those personalities can kind of rub against each other. Uh, maybe you're very spontaneous, and you're interacting with someone that's a planner. And so their, their calendar is three, four, five, six, seven months out, and yours is... 30 seconds out, right? And sometimes that can, that can be a real uh, rub. But those are things, those are good examples of things that are not sinful. Uh, and it's not that one's more righteous or, or holy than the other. They're just different, and they're part of the variety of how God has made us. But the truth is, some, those are some of the things, especially when you live closely with someone like a spouse, that can really over time irritate you and rub you the wrong way and become a rift. We can have a riff with each other over silly, silly things that are actually uh, just parts of our personality. Now, that doesn't mean that, the, that even these things, as we're made aware of them, are not things that we should work on if they really do bother other people. But I'm trying to distinguish examples of truly of sinful behavior versus just differences. You know, I had a friend in college. He was notorious for inviting me to go do something or hang out and... I would get there and there'd be all these other people there that I didn't know were coming, which is fine. But I would come thinking we're going to talk and hang out and you'll catch up. It's been a long time. I'm more of a one-on-one kind of deep talker. I like to have deep conversation, which is harder to do the more people that you have. And so I had to really work on my heart not to get frustrated when I show up thinking we're doing this thing, hanging out one-on-one, and there's like, hey, Fred's here too. Hi, Fred. Um, Those are just personality quirks and differences. Um, but what this word is saying is that true love for others throws a blanket of silence over those things, covers those things, those annoyances, those irritations. Um, and this also applies to legitimate sins. First uh, Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And so even in cases where someone has legitimately sinned against you, particularly if it's not a pattern, it's uncharacteristic of them, they obviously have had a bad day or whatever it may be, they're snippy, they're short, um, these are opportunities for us to cover those things with genuine love for them. Um, that doesn't mean, by the way, that it's wrong to lovingly address someone's sin against you. I'm not saying that. 
particularly if it becomes a pattern. Um, but it does mean we all sin all the time, every day, right? Even though we're working on it, we're growing, praying it's decreasing, we are sinners. And if you live in close quarters with somebody, you're going to sin against them. And so it's having the awareness that, you know, hey, I know that I've either inadvertently or purposely sinned against you. You just sinned against me in that moment. But you know what? I can cover that. I can let that go. I can forgive that. I don't need to address that or hold on to that or keep a record of that or harbor unforgiveness. I can simply cover that sin. Um, you know, this helps me to think of it this way. You realize that there are countless sins that you have committed against Christ that you are completely unaware of. You know, that don't even hit our radar. Because, you know, maybe it's a blind spot. or You know, our, our consciences are not perfect. Sometimes they're too strict. Sometimes they're too loose. Sometimes it should be sounding, and it's not. Because in some way we've, we've hardened our conscience in that area. And so there are, there are areas in which I know that I've sinned against Christ, but, and I'm unaware. And what's amazing is when we put our faith in Christ for salvation, and we turn to Him in a, with a spirit of repentance... That doesn't mean, when we, when we say repent and believe the gospel, we don't mean that you're able to actually remember every single sin you've ever committed and you go down the list and you start con confessing all those. No, it means you turn to him with a heart of repentance of, I, I want to turn away from my, my sin and I want to turn to following you. And yes, if there are things that come to mind that I know that I'm doing that are sinful, I want to confess those specific things, but I'm under no illusion that I remember all of them. And yet, what does he offer to us? forgiveness forgiveness and so he becomes then our example of how we do this how we do it with our spouse and with our kids and with people in the church and when we throw a blanket of silence i like that illustration a blanket of silence over that irritating thing or actually sinful thing it's not a pattern um, it doesn't really need to be addressed you can simply cover it and move forward this is the propensity of love towards others. Um, now, let's talk about some ways we can realistically do this. Because this is not easy to do. Covering even irritations is not an easy thing to do. And covering legitimate sins with love is even harder to do. So let's talk about some um, techniques. But when I say that, I mean biblical truths that we can bring to mind to aid us in covering either irritations or sins of others towards us? What are some things that come to mind? I've got a list here, but I want to hear yours first. <clears throat> like with the calendar thing, my wife being the planner and me having about 30 seconds out, I could learn to, and I'm trying to learn to be a little bit more aesthetic and plan a little yeah. better because there is, there is some organization yeah 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 so there there's particularly on the side where you realize that maybe your your propensities are an irritation to someone else being willing to change I mean, willing to grow in those things yeah and not getting stuck in well my this is how my family was and it worked great you know um and, and stuck in those things instead of saying no we, we can we can change some of these things good what what else wendell careful looking for the speck and your eyes, you'll be in the log in your own. Oh yeah, Matthew seven. That's a that's a big one. You know, you're, here. Let me get that for you, and you're whapping them in your head with your. You know, stand still. I'm trying to get that in your eye. You know, 
<laughs> um, what else? I think when you're talking about spontaneity, because I'm a planner, it's just the way I was, <clears throat> the way I was basically trained in the military. But it, so it's, we kind of joke about it. Like, let's just go for a ride. Yeah. Where are we going? I may kind of know where we're going, right? Like an ice cream shop or something there, but yeah, and we might accidentally find it on the way. Mm -hmm. But uh, just kind of, we joke about it because trying to be more spontaneous, yeah, is very challenging for a planner. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yep, but trying to work on those things is helpful. Anybody else? Being careful not to make like a mountain out of a molehill, like mm. blowing things out of out of proportion. I have a tendency to do that. And yeah. I catch myself like in the middle of the moment. And I'm like, what? Why? Yeah, why am I doing that? It's not, it's not worth it. Um, and it's really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an easy one to do. Yeah, I think just for me, just there's kind of, it's, it's either easy, either way, it's easy to find uh, things with that sin in another person or easy to just forget that this is this is uh, God's command to us and what true love looks like. If if I haven't been meditating on God's word or prayer, my mind's just not focused on things above. It's just <coughs> easy yeah. uh, either way. If I'm meditating on mm -hmm. God's word, dwelling on you know the sacrifice of Christ, offense comes up like that, you're you're focused on where you stand before the Lord, mm -hmm. and it's an easy response, easier response to, to look at that, having been meditating in God's Word, in the first responses, I, yeah. have, I don't, I have no place to be offended here, mm -hmm. you know? Right, exactly. Were you going to say something, Neil? Um, yeah, when, you know, I just remembered, when, after hearing all the sharing, it, it, when, when I'm building on my kids, you know, trying my best to disciple them, shepherd their hearts. And at one moment of, in time wherein they don't follow a simple instruction and just chop off their legs, mm -hmm. all that is being built is all of a sudden, whoa, what just happened there? Mm -hmm. you know, so instead of having that minute thing being cloaked over, just like what you said, with mm -hmm. a blanket of love mm -hmm. or a blanket of uh, throw, throwing a blanket over that irritation, mm -hmm. uh, the opposite happens, yeah. You know, so that was a really good reminder. You know, mm. so yeah. yeah. Those are all helpful. I, I I've got a few I'm going to add to the to the list, but I think you know some of those like like Wendell mentioned, you taking the log out of your eye and before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, that's the that's ultimately where we need to get. But I think as we back up and think about how to get that log out of our eye. What helps me with that is just to remember what Christ has done for me. Starting with Christ is always the place to begin. And so we, we are trying to imitate his love towards others, and so it's helpful to begin with understanding his love towards us. And so I think about the, his is long-suffering. He has forgiven me. He's patient. He's so patient with me. Um, and Because and, we get frustrated. Like, son, how many times have I told you to da 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 da, -da? Well... Dusty, how many times have you had to confess that sin, that same sin, to Christ? And so it just backing up and just saying, 
Let me apply and think and meditate on how Christ's love towards me is demonstrated. And then that helps me personally just to slow down and then patiently and kindly respond to the person in front of me. Another one is to intentionally think on the things you appreciate most about that person. Especially um, with minor irritation things, you realize, you know, this is just a preference. This is, this is not sin. This is, just, this is just how God has wired this brother or, and how he's wired me in some ways. Instead of always thinking on, oh, here they come. He's going to do it again. He's going to hug me. I know he is. You know, and, uh, <laughs> it's it's going to happen. Um, you know, instead, of, instead of always thinking on that, it's, you know what, God, thank you for this and that and this about this person. Thank you, thank you so much that you have made this person like this. I benefit, our church benefits from this and that. And, and, I, and I'd say the more, the more tempted you are to find someone irritating, the more intentional you need to be to call out mentally specific things you really appreciate about them. Um, call them to mind. Um, and, and it will help you to see that person through the lens of what you appreciate most in them rather than the things that maybe irritate you the most. Thirdly, remember that our greatest weaknesses are often connected to our greatest strengths. Um, and so back to the whole planner versus spontaneous thing. If you have a planner in your family and it's not you, let's say your wife is more of a planner and you're more of the spontaneous, um, instead of just being frustrated by her constant desire to plan when you just want to go with the flow, step back and realize that while that can perhaps be one of her greatest weaknesses because she can get frustrated when things aren't planned, also think about how your family is benefited by the fact that you have a planner in the house. You know. Uh, and and how, how much smoother things go when you give her the freedom to make plans. Right? Think, of, think of it from that realm. And if it's the other way and you're the planner and your wife is more of the happy-go-lucky, think about the, 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 the joy and the, the lightness that that can bring to... A lot of times planners are, can easily get stressed because they're constantly like this and we're 30 seconds off time and oh man, that's going to throw that off and then at 4 o'clock I was going to do that and that's going to be 30 seconds late. You know, so that they can get really tense. Think about the joy it is for God to bring someone into your life who doesn't have any of that and they're like, what? We're off schedule? There's a schedule? You know, um, that can bring, it's like, that can, that can really add some joy and life to the home if you see it as a blessing. And so just realize that a lot of times, the things, you'll see this in yourself, the things that are your strengths are also probably connected to your weaknesses when your strengths get out of balance um, and you have to find yourself apologizing for the misuse of that strength. The same thing is true for other people. And so begin to thank God for how that thing, and what, what's interesting is the thing that maybe in the early years of your marriage or in your, your parenting or whatever that were really frustrating, when you begin to look at them from this lens, you suddenly, it may totally flip. That that becomes something you're like, I'm so glad that God put this person in my life that's this way. Fourthly, when a person sins against you in a way that's uncharacteristic, consider that it may stem much more from an issue in their own heart than it does with you. And so when you come home, let's say your, your wife is normally in, in, a, in a good mood. She's a glass half full type person. Let's say that's the case. And you come home and she's, she's grumpy, and she's irritable, and she's short, but that's not the norm. Instead of responding in turn with, 
you know, why are you to be treating me this way? Step back and say, something's going on. Same thing if you pass a brother at church and typically you know, when you see this brother and say, hey, how are you? And they're, they're having a good conversation with you and you pass and they're kind of short and they're kind of cold. Instead of just getting offended and saying, well, you know, why do they treat me that way? Step back and say, I wonder what's going on with my, with my brother. I need, I need to press into that at the right time in the right way with a loving desire to be a help. Right, and so it, when you when you begin to say, "Oh, that okay, that was legitimately sinful, whatever happened there towards me," but that's not characteristic of that person, and so I bet there's a way that I need to pray for them. You know, I need to pray for them and look for an opportunity to be a blessing to them. Yes, Joseph. Specifically with our wives, um, when they want to talk, mm-hmm. we need to really listen mm-hmm. and listen well because we can listen and be disengaged. Right. Absolutely. Listening intently uh, and, and, and intentionally to our wives. But these are just a few of the things that really help me as I try to step back and think about this concept of bearing up or under or, or covering. Uh, thinking on Christ, thinking on things I appreciate about that person, remembering our weaknesses are connected to our strengths often, and particularly when things are uncharacteristic, realizing that may be a red flag that something is actually happening in their heart. And so the response is not to get offended. It's to pray and to seek to come alongside and love them enough to, to help. Um, and so those are just uh, a few encouragements. We could say a lot more about these things. I, I pray that this has been beneficial for you as it's been for my own heart. It's my intention next time to finish out this particular study. We'll look at the last few characteristics there and then move on. But um, I pray that it helps us shepherd our wives more faithfully and, and our children and, 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 and each other, even in the church as we live lives together as believers. Let's take a moment. I'm going to pray and then give us some time to fellowship. We can talk about these things uh, during that time. If you have questions, I'd love to hear those as well. But let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for the time that you provided for us this morning to dive into the truth. And we, we confess that it's convicting for us because... So many times we, we, we are not slow to anger and we, we don't cover the sins of others or irritations that come from our differences in personalities and we, 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 we don't rejoice in the truth in the ways that we ought to and even desire to. And so we ask God that you would help us to be faithful in these things, help us to, to demonstrate this kind of servant-hearted, loving leadership that you so faithfully demonstrate towards us Um, continually in our daily lives. Thank you that you don't count our iniquities because we would be crushed under the weight of them, but instead you offer to us full and free forgiveness and pardon through the perfect life and blood of your Son. Uh, we're, We're thankful for that forgiveness and that redemption that is undeserved and yet freely offered, 
And we ask that you would help us to imitate that in offering grace to others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.